Coming up on Transformers University, it's our 100th episode, and we're going to talk about two of the most important episodes in all of Transformers history. Right now, it is the return of Optimus Prime on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to episode number 100. We've reached the triple digits, and I am so happy and so proud, and I am glad you've taken this ride with me. Uh, If this is your first episode, then you've got 99 episodes to catch up on. And if you've been here since the beginning, I thank you so much. I am Anthony Bercali, owner-operator, madman, behind TFU.info, the website, the Tory Archive, this podcast, TFU News and Views podcast, and oh so much more. And I wanted to do something special for episode number 100. We did it 50 episodes ago when we talked about Transformers the movie. Uh, I felt that was a big, huge turning point in the series. And it warranted, one, being a special number issue. Uh, as someone who grew up a bit of a comic book nerd, uh, those those round numbers, those 50s and 100s, and probably from here on out, just uh, 100s, uh, are the, the milestone segments of anything that's done on a regular basis. So now that this podcast has reached episode number 100, I wanted to do something... Uh, as special as episode 50. Uh, this one's not going to be the big blowout that episode 50 was, but it, it, it's going to be fun. We, we've recruited some special guests uh, to talk uh, at the end of the show, and we're covering a topic that is incredibly important in the development of Transformers, the cartoon, the series, and the brand, and that is the return of Optimus Prime. Now, you're not familiar with the return of Optimus Prime, uh, this all happens basically as a reaction to the events from Transformers the movie as perceived by the public. There was such an outcry uh, about the death of Optimus Prime in Transformers the movie, which you can hear all about back in episode 50, that Hasbro and Sunbow And uh, the powers that be at the time felt it was necessary to bring Optimus back from the dead. And not in a way that was done uh, previously in season three with Dark Awakening, which was the Halloween episode. And uh, he was brought back from the dead as a zombie and and, uh, slightly regains consciousness before being sent off to blow up and die a second time, which is like a whole other section of trauma for uh, kids of that time and adults of my age. Now, this episode, as part of season three, aired in 1987 because there was a huge gap. We're talking almost uh, three months between the airing of the previous episode and this two-parter, The Return of Optimus Prime, Parts 1 and 2, which will be the season finale for Season 3. Now, before we get into the specifics about this episode, I want to take you back to a nine-year-old Anthony in 1987, in February of 1987. And the feeling I had that I can remember was being incredibly excited 
for this episode. Uh, I know I taped it. I taped parts one and part two. Uh, this episode would air on February 24th, 1987. It was a very special day for uh, Transformers fans. And uh, I can't say I was huge into the brand at that point, but I know this brought me back. Now, as I've mentioned earlier, the series and season three had uh, bounced around in time slots, uh, especially after the movie. It went to mornings and then eventually went back to afternoons. And this one was in a prime spot for reaching kids uh, after school, latchkey kids like myself, because this aired at 4.30. So that was the last cartoon of the cartoon block that would run from three to four uh, to five. Uh, so... Uh, basically, I, I know I've said this before, but if you're new to the show, let's let's kind of explain how the cartoon block worked in the 80s. Uh, usually there were two syndicated stations. Uh, these would eventually become uh, what we now know as uh, uh, Fox stations or uh, CW stations in the United States. Uh, and they would generally have uh, whatever their local uh, affiliate would purchase to run cartoons from 3 o'clock when school let out or actually usually from 2 o'clock, uh, depending on what schools let out at what time. But the, their program would start from 2. But for me, I know I would. I, my school got out at 3. Uh, by the time I walked home from school, it was usually about a quarter after 3. Uh, so from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And then 5 o'clock usually was some sort of syndicated uh, sitcom from the 60s or 70s. So your, your Brady Bunches, your What's Happenings, your... Um, uh, your Jeffersons, oddly enough, uh, Batman 66, uh, a lot of those shows would run around five o'clock. Now, nine-year-old Anthony was definitely excited for this particular show um, because I wanted to know what happened. Uh, the fact that the title was The Return of Optimus Prime, I sure told you he was coming back. It didn't tell you how. And I think that is uh, particularly important uh, especially if you were a kid of that age. Now, as I said before, this aired on February 24th, 1987. It was a huge day for Transformers fans. You don't remember? For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. That's right. It was a Tuesday. At 4.30. And, uh, you know, the reason this airs on a Tuesday is that prior to this episode airing, Hasbro and Sunbow felt it necessary to prime the audience by playing Dark Awakening again. So Dark Awakening would re-air on the Monday beforehand. And uh, it was re-aired with a new teaser at the end by Transformers narrator Vic Caroli. But is this really the end? Optimus Prime. Find out in tomorrow's exciting episode, The Return of Optimus Prime. And with that ominous, maybe a little overdone voiceover, we take a dive into The Return of Optimus Prime, Part 1, Season 3, Episode 29, overall, Episode number 94. 
written by Marv Wolfman and Sherry Wilkerson. Now, Sherry Wilkerson was the executive script consultant on Transformers. Uh, she had a, a short-lived career in television, writing for Gem and My Little Pony, DuckTales, Batman the Animated Series, Dino Saucers, and the Ruby Spears version of Superman. Uh, she was also a science fiction writer and uh, wrote some Nightwing comics as well with Marv Wolfman. And it is now a uh, freelance editor, uh, I believe out in California. I did do a little digging on LinkedIn for her. Uh, the bigger name here is Marv Wolfman. Uh, he is probably one of the modern comics greats. He is also one of the first examples of someone to go from being a fan to working uh, in the industry in his uh, fanzine that he published in 1965, Stories of Suspense. He was one of the first people to publish Stephen King. He uh, created or co-created a number of comic book characters for Marvel and DC, including Blade, Bullseye, Nova, Black Hat, Raven, Starfire, Cyborg, Deathstroke, Tim Drake, and the Dick Grayson version of Nightwing. More importantly, he was the writer behind the DC mega crossover, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Now, this is important to Transformers in a couple of ways. Now, I have never read Crisis on Infinite Earths. I am uh, not really a DC guy. Uh, I've added it to my reading list of uh, things I should read soon and uh, did a little reading up on the history of it. And then if you're not familiar with Crisis on Infinite Earths, it was DC's first really big uh, maxi-series, 12-part series, and uh, mega crossover with all of their characters. Uh, it came out a year after Marvel's Secret Wars, which led into Transformers and created by Jim Shooter. So there, there's a weird, neat little tie there uh, for Transformers fans. And Crisis on Infinite Earths essentially set out to simplify uh, DC's continuity, kind of give it a, a reboot in a way that there wouldn't be so much continuity uh, for new readers as they jumped on afterwards. And so by doing that uh, in story, they actually erased a whole bunch of Earths, killed off thousands of characters. Uh, and I think in one panel, they also erased uh, the Marvel Universe as one of the Earths that got destroyed, which also technically ties back to Transformers because if you've been listening to our comics episodes, the early run of the Transformers comic was set in the mainline Marvel Universe. Uh, things like Spider-Man and the Savage Land uh, existed in, in the Transformers comics. So technically, Marv Wolfman killed off all the Transformers before even writing The Return of Optimus Prime where he brings them back from the dead. Okay, so as you try to wrap your head around that, also keep in mind that Wolfman was also the head writer on season three of Transformers. And that probably also explains why there are so many Marvel alumni uh, getting their first shot at writing scripts for the show, such as Len Wein and Alan Kupperberg and a number of others. 
Wolfman would also go on uh, to have a bit of a career in writing animation as well, writing for uh, multiple versions of G.I. Joe, Gem, Batman the Animated Series, Captain Power, and, and a lot of other animated shows. He would also continue to write for Transformers into the 90s. He wrote an episode of Beast Wars called The Probe, and he was one of the co-creators behind Beast Machines, uh, the sequel series to Beast Wars. Um, so there is a lot going on in terms of Marv Wolfman and Transformers. And so uh, this is one of the greats, one of the comics greats, and really one of the Transformers greats as well. And this is his first script uh, to be credited to him, at least. As head writer, I'm sure he had a lot of input into the season, but uh, this one is one that gets his byline, and that's important. So this episode, it starts out in space. Space! where we meet two scientists, uh, Dr. Gregory Swafford uh, and Jessica Morgan. Uh, she does not have a uh, credited title in front of her name, but she is named after Marv Wolfman's daughter. Uh, they are in space, and they happen upon Optimus's shuttle from the end of Dark Awakening. Now, uh, before we get into... The other story elements here, uh, it's worth noting that Gregory Swafford uh, was voiced by Jared Barclay, who uh, we mentioned and brought up in our Meet the Cast episode as the voice of Sinner Twin. Uh, he'll also later go on to voice some characters in season four. Uh, the voice for Jessica Morgan uh, is still unknown. I think it might be um, B.J. Ward, who was Scarlet on G.I. Joe, or it could be Samantha Newark, who was Jem. Uh, both have very similar characteristics to this voice. I can't nail it down. It's not on TF Wiki. It's one of the mysteries. Uh, so if you have a good idea of who it is, drop me a line on Twitter at TFU underscore info. Now, presumably, this episode happens in the final moments of Dark Awakening, just before Optimus's shuttle explodes. Swafford remembers how his face was scarred by a battle between Megatron and Optimus. And we get a flashback here, and it's also the final appearance of Megatron in the Transformers cartoon, or the original Transformers cartoon. And this is pretty neat because you thought you saw the last of him in uh, Transformers the movie. But this here is actually the final scene where you will ever see him in G1. Gregory Swafford, he blames Optimus for the scar on his face, but Jessica uh, doesn't see it that way, and she decides to rescue Optimus Prime from the exploding ship. Swafford tags along, and they save Optimus as the ship and the sun it's about to crash into explodes. Who cares? Gregory, the sun's going nova, and our ship's surviving. Our experiment's a success. Prepare for acceleration. Head back to Earth to the lab of Swafford and Morgan. <laughs> Dr. Mark Morgan, that is Jessica's dad, as voiced by Aaron Kincaid, who you may know better as Skylinks, and don't worry, he'll be in this episode as well. They discover that there were these spores covering the ship after the sun exploded, and these spores cause hate in their lab rats. Now, Dr. Morgan, he is excited about this discovery and wants to file reports on the plague, but Jessica thinks it's a bad idea. Reports? Dad, don't you see how crazy this is? 
Get rid of those spores. Shoot them back into space. If they contaminate people, they could make World War II look like a schoolyard brawl. Just then, the lab is attacked by the Terracons, who want the heat-resistant metal that uh, Swafford and Morgan have been working on. And the Technobots show up as well to fight them off. The Terracons, they still get the metal and escape, but in the fight, the roof of the lab falls on Jessica. The Autobots decide to take her in the hospital inside of Protectabot First Aid. We'll bring your daughter to County General, sir! The ambulance! It's one of them! They're taking away Jessica! I hate them, Gregory! I hate them all! Now, somehow the Autobots didn't see the body of Optimus Prime laying around the lab, and the spores didn't spread around the lab in this whole big battle, but I guess that's a conversation for another day. And with all this anger towards the Transformers, Gregory Swafford has a plan. Look, we're not helpless. We can get even with them. We can use the spores, make the robots hate and destroy each other. Remember, we have their leader. We have the body of Optimus Prime. Now, now, during all this, we get this neat montage of Optimus trying to be repaired by Swafford and Morgan and Jessica being repaired uh, in surgery. Repaired, I guess, you know, getting going undergoing treatment in surgery. Uh, but there's some neat things here. Like I was always wondering why her wrist is held up in this shot that, that they're doing. But uh, the shot of Optimus has them working on his hand. And uh, this is what we call in uh, in video editing and, and, and uh, film production as visual rhyme. Uh, it's when one shot kind of matches the next shot in, in terms of composition and layout and things going on. And this is actually a really sophisticated little trick here that the animators are doing. Uh, so this is really well done. Uh, there's a lot of parallels that are being drawn there without actually explicitly being told to us are being done here uh, as they try to repair Optimus and Jessica undergoes her surgery. Now, once Jessica is out of surgery, Dr. Morgan races to see her. Uh, the Autobots are there with Swindle. Uh, he's an animation error, but it's, it's just always weird seeing that there. Uh, we find out that um, she wouldn't be able to walk without an exoskeleton, but they gave her that. And uh, Dr. Mark Morgan, not happy about it. Good heavens, Jessica. Don't you see what they're doing? They're destroying you like they destroy everything else. No, we just want to help. How? By turning my daughter into a robot? Dad, they made it so I could walk again. We thought you'd be pleased. Pleased? At my daughter becoming a blasted machine? You're coming home with me right now. Now, Swafford and Morgan can't get Optimus revived, so they plan to melt him down for more alloy. And Jessica, not letting that happen. You can't do this! Jessica, please! No, no! The Autobots help me walk! He's their leader! You can't destroy him! You know, part of me really wants to know who the actress was for uh, Jessica Morgan because uh, this is a stellar, stellar performance. Uh, one of the best in the series as a whole. And uh, there, there's a level of just emotional outcry in, in, in that voice acting in this scene. And... It is just really good. It is part of what makes this arguably one of the best 
regular season episodes of Transformers of all time. So without melting Optimus, Swafford has a plan to set a trap and Morgan wants to send Jessica in as bait. No, I can't. Dad, it's wrong. The Autobots aren't our enemies. They aren't? Look at Gregory's face. Look at your legs. They're paralyzed because of those metal menaces. No, I'm not wrong, honey. You are. Jessica goes anyway, and she finds Ultra Magnus, who takes her to Rodimus Prime. Now we find Rodimus Prime at a statue of Optimus, kind of talking to it and uh, pining about how he is not the leader that Optimus was uh, when Ultra Magnus and Jessica arrived to tell him that Optimus is alive and it is a trap. And then comes the roll call. Ultra Magnus, we have to retrieve Optimus's body. Put him where he can rest in peace. But that's what my father wants you to do. It's a trap. I don't care. Rodimus, don't be hasty. Listen to her. Now listen all the way. Put together an assault force. Protectobots, hotspot, streetwise, groove, first aid and blades. Transform into Defensor! Aerial Box, Superbolt, Air Raid, Skydive, Fireflight, and Slingshot! Transform into Superior! Throttlebots, Transform! And finally, last but not least, Blur, Bumblebee, Steeljaw, and Wheelie! Transform! Jessica, climb in! Autobots, now, I have to tell you, this is one of my all-time favorite scenes in the G1 cartoon. Uh, this roll call, and that's why I played almost, I played the whole thing. <laughs> Not even almost the whole thing. The whole thing. Because this was a playable moment for me as a kid. I recorded this episode. I watched this scene over and over. I watched the scene in slow-mo. I watched the scene going frame by frame to watch the transformations. Uh, this scene had a tremendous effect on me at nine years old. Uh, this scene probably drew me back into the franchise after I had already been out. And I, I can recite the scene by memory uh, without a problem. I can quote a lot of this episode, and we'll talk about how these two episodes are incredibly quotable. Uh, this particular episode, though, I could uh, not quote it enough and I could not quote that scene enough and could not get enough of that scene. Um, I think as I got back into Transformers after that, I I didn't realize it at the time, but a lot of my collecting habits were to fill in <laughs> this scene and a couple of the scenes later in this episode. Now, during Roll Call, Ratbat was spying on the Autobots, reports back to Soundwave and Galvatron, and the Decepticons now know what's going on. At the lab of Swafford and Morgan, <laughs> Rodimus Prime and Jessica enter through the front. The rest go through the back. Defensor stays outside to stand guard. And in the front, Rodimus finds the body of Optimus Prime. It turns out that the back was the trap. And uh, in the back, the Autobots are infected. The Aerobots, the Throttlebots, and Ultra Magnus are now all infected with the Hate Plague. And the Aerobots then combine. I don't know how they get over their hate for each other to combine, but they do. And they attack Defensor outside. Inside, 
Ultra Magnus decides he's going to chase Rodimus and Jessica. The Decepticons arrive as Rodimus is making his escape. We see Bruticus, the Stunticons, and Galvatron. And as they roll in, so does Ultra Magnus, and he helps infect the Combaticons and the Stunticons as Rodimus escapes with the body of Optimus Prime, and Galvatron makes a way out for himself as well. In the city, Bumblebee, Cup, Blur, they're fighting Superion, and uh, they take some shots from his gun. And the weird thing is, the thing that sticks with me from this scene is the sound effect used for when one of the blasts from Superion's gun hits somebody. Give a listen. For whatever reason, that sound is ingrained in my head, that that high-pitched kind of twirl upward on the back. Um, it's, it's there in, 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 in forever etched in my mind, and uh, that is the sound when a Transformer gets hit to me. Eventually, Superion will tack down uh, Defensor on the bridge and infect him, and Rodimus will make his way back to Autobot City to Rekgar to try to repair Optimus. Rekgar... Uh, drops, I think, three Star Trek references, along with like an I Love Lucy reference. And as he's talking about repairing Optimus Prime, and he knows he can't do it. So Jessica asks Rodimus who built Optimus, and he says the Quintessons built him, which is, I guess, kind of true. And he radios for Skylinks to find him a Quintesson. At the same time, Ultra Magnus begins to attack Autobot City, looking for Rodimus Prime, and Rodimus realizes... Uh, that he has to do something. I have to disconnect Metroplex. If the plague were to infect him... I know. It's a terrible thought. You know, so it's neat here that Rodimus talks about disconnecting Metroplex, which means Autobot City may not entirely be comprised of Metroplex, um, but a big portion or a center portion of it would be, uh, because Ultra Magnus is already in the city, right? So we have to... Figure that some of that is inanimate and that Metroplexes may be connected to a larger city. Now, speaking of Ultra Magnus, he uh, he eventually finds Rodimus and begins to chase him through Autobot City. And there's a cool scene here, another one that I know I replayed as a kid, uh, where Ultra Magnus smashes through a wall to block off Rodimus's path, and Rodimus transforms, jumps over Ultra Magnus, transforms back. And it's just one of the really, really cool scenes. And it leads to a, a little bit of a car chase between the two of them. And we get this incredible bit of dialogue from Ultra Magnus. You can't escape, Rodimus! I can track your gas fumes anywhere! And again, you know what's really cool about the hate plague? Turning all the good guys bad and all the bad guys crazy is that we get these over-the-top performances from from some of the actors that we wouldn't normally get them from. And the actors really do lean into this hard. And Jack Angel here is one of the best uh, next-level performances uh, as the angry and evil and hateful version of Ultra Magnus. Now, Magnus eventually corners Rodimus Prime, but Rekgar steps in to save him looping like a cable around Ultra Magnus and tying him up, but Magnus will grab the rope and pull Rekgar close to him and infect him. <laughs> I'm a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? And with that, Rekgar infects Rodimus Prime. <laughs> 
From here, we get a news report about humans being infected with the hate plague and how it's rooted from the infected Transformers. And I got to tell you, watching this in 2021 and after living through all of 2020, uh, there is tremendous parallel between this episode and the next episode and current events now between uh, the coronavirus, between uh, the racial injustice in the United States. There's so much here uh, that you could sink your teeth into and, and see in a much more simplified manner, I'd say, uh, shades of the real world. And uh, I don't feel that you know it's my place to comment here in particular on uh, my views on those things but it is fairly eye-opening and it's interesting to see uh particularly the plague the hate plague uh and how quickly it can spread from person to person as a metaphor for how quickly information and conversation can devolve in a world of instantaneous communication so just something to chew on, something to think about uh, when watching this episode. Now, in another strange parallel, there is an attack on Washington, D.C., and Defensor destroys uh, the Washington Monument as part of his uh, hate-filled rampage. Then we head back to space after this news report because Skylinks. Uh, is hunting down a Quintesson who is running from infected Sharktacons. Now the hate plague has spread throughout the galaxy. We cut to Autobot City where Skylinks has returned with the Quintesson and he begins work on Optimus Prime, trying to repair him until finally we get to the point in the episode everyone was waiting for. I've done it! Optimus Prime lives! It's true. Our leader is back. Yes, Skylinks. And this time, no force in the universe can stop me. Hey, want to help out this podcast or the website tfu.info? There's a number of ways you can do it. Let me tell you how. You can help us directly by joining our Patreon and enrolling as a student at Transformers University. There, you'll get early access to the podcast as well as exclusive behind-the-scenes peaks and perks for as little as $1 a month. Sign up is quick and easy. Just swing on by to www.patreon.com slash tfuinfo. Another way you can help us is by using our Amazon link, www.tfu.info slash Amazon. Type that into your browser whenever you want to shop at Amazon and a portion of what you spend will be contributed back to us. It's that easy. Finally, you don't become the world's longest running transforming toy archive without some help from other fans. We're always on the hunt for photos of figures and accessories we're missing from our pages. If you'd like to contribute, go to tfu.info slash help for a list of what we need or send an email to info at tfu.info. tfu.info, the alpha trion and omega prime of transforming toys. Now, back to the show. And that takes us to part two, the return of Optimus Prime part two, season three episode 30 overall episode number 95 now if you count transformers the movie as a five part story arc 
has five half-hour episodes, which eventually, uh, in 1988, it will be turned into. That gives you exactly 100 episodes. So just like this is Transformers University's 100th episode, in turn, we will be wrapping this episode up with what is ostensibly episode number 100 of the original cartoon. This one also written by Marv Wolfman and Sherry Wilkerson. Teleplay by Michael Charles Hill, who, as we've talked about before, has written some of the better episodes of the series. Uh, The Gambler, The Killing Jar, uh, a couple others that I I can't think of off the top of my head. But but Michael Charles Hill did the teleplay for this one. And we pick up right where we left off. I mean, there's no uh, previously on because... They use Skylinks in this episode to kind of give a bit of a recap. And the neat thing here is that Skylinks is talking uh, in his links mode. He's actually split into his two halves and his links mode is uh, giving the recap. After his recap, Optimus wants to know who's left to fight alongside him. Have any of the Autobots avoided contamination? Not many. And those that have were injured battling Superion. They may be damaged beyond repair. Who? Tell me. Cop and Wheelie, Blur and Steeljaw, Bumblebee. Then let's find them and get them into the repair bay. Quintesson is enlisted to help repair the fallen Autobots. And uh, the four bots Skylinks talks about are repaired alongside of Blaster as well, who has no lines in this episode but keeps showing up uh, as part of the group. Uh, but he's never referenced either. No one says, hey, Blaster's over here. Uh, and we get another playable moment, another one I replayed a whole bunch as a kid, uh, when the Autobots see their newly revived leader. Optimus? Optimus, you're alive, you're alive, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, do you guys believe this? It's Optimus! Optimus Prime, by gosh, is it really you? I must be dreaming. No, this is real. I'm back, and now so are you. I'm better than ever! Look at this new paint job! I've gone beyond being just plain old Bumblebee! I'm a gold bug! (laughs) That you are, Bumblebee. So from now on, that's exactly who you'll be. Gold bug. And all the way up through that gold bug conversation and uh, Goldbug's reaction, the uh, Dan Gilvezan going, I'm back and better than ever. That whole line, I, I can't hear someone say, I'm back without my brain saying, and better than ever. Uh, That's how much that particular line lives in my head. And in fact, when (laughs) I've been talking about Goldbug in previous episodes in the uh, Marvel US and Marvel UK comics, uh, I've had to make sure I didn't say, and better than ever, as part of this podcast, because I didn't want to ruin this line in episode 100, because I knew I was coming here to this episode now. I know as a kid, I, I totally replayed these scenes. I didn't have Blaster, and I didn't have uh, Skylinks. And the uh, the Autobots continued to talk, and Goldbug, once again, is the voice of reason. Let's go kick some Deceptitale! I'm ready, willing, and able. You can't keep a good robot down, you know what I mean? Let's go, let's go, let's go! What are you waiting for? Chill out, Blur! We need a plan! Okay, Optimus, what's the plan? Now, this is another scene I quote a lot not the whole beginning with blur or the chill out part but the uh we need a plan what's the plan um 
yeah, I think I've said that at work before. <laughs> Another one where anytime someone says, "What's uh, we need a plan, my brain, here's Dan Gilvesen say, what's the plan? Uh, Dan Gilvesen's voice lives somewhere in, in my head. Uh, whenever I'm reading a Spider-Man comic, because he was the voice of Spider-Man on Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and whenever I read a Transformers comic with Bumblebee, uh, I don't think I could ever not hear his voice uh, be those printed words. Now, Optimus, he doesn't have a plan. He needs the Matrix and doesn't know how to get it because it's inside of Rodimus Prime. Now, Jessica, she has a plan. That metal that Galvatron stole last episode... Uh, they might be able to use that to coat Optimus and make him impervious to the spores. So the Autobots plan to take it back, and we get Optimus finally saying, Autobots, transform and roll out! And it's interesting here because Cup drives off backwards. It's a, it's a little weird animation error, but he transforms and his back of his vehicle mode is facing the direction everyone else is driving and that's the way he goes so we head to the planet of char now on char uh galvatron is being attacked by the sweeps and predaking and cyclonus but not as you've heard him before well, well, what have we here cyclonus now voiced by jack angel because roger c carmel the original voice of cyclonus passed away between the last round of Transformers cartoon production and the creation of this episode. The Autobots arrive on Cha'ar and they fight off the Decepticon as Optimus offers Galvatron a chance to team up. With the Decepticons fleeing to recharge, Galvatron takes the Autobots into a cave and seals off the entrance to delay his former army from coming in. Optimus explains the need for metal. So, you need the metal. Yes, we do. Galvatron offers to take them to the metal uh, through the caves. They end up on this bit of a, a journey. Uh, it's almost like a, a hobbit's journey, right? Because they end up at this giant spider web. And uh, the spider shows up and Galvatron takes off. Man, Galvatron is a jerk. Uh, but the Autobots defeat the spider and make it across. Now, Galvatron is very suspicious about the metal. Optimus didn't tell him why, and he won't. Autobots then encounter uh, some leeches, which Galvatron uh, reluctantly uh, shoots off of them. Uh, before the Decepticons arrive and infect Blaster and Goldbug. Galvatron shoots down some more of the cave, sealing off uh, the other Autobots from Optimus, Jessica, Skylynx, and Galvatron as they head into the vault that contains the metal. And Galvatron wants to know... Tell me what the cure is and how the metal is used to make it! Well, The Cure is a rock band from the 80s fronted by Robert Smith, but that's not important now. What's important is that Jessica Morgan accidentally gives up the plan to coat Optimus with the metal and get the Matrix from Rodimus. Galvatron now, he plans to double-cross everyone and draws his weapon, but Skylynx disarms him and puts Galvatron to work, loading Optimus Prime's trailer with the metal. 
as this is going on, Cyclona sneaks in to the vault and infects Jessica. As this happened, Galvatron shoots Cyclonus, knocking him out, but Jessica infects Galvatron. It's it's kind of neat how this is part like zombie movie <laughs> in a way, uh, and part space adventure. And uh, it's almost uh, an interesting parallel in that uh, Optimus is the undead one, but everyone else is being infected. So Optimus and Skylinks, they flee. Uh, Jessica grabs his tail, by the way, on the way out, but uh, it doesn't infect him. I don't know if that's an animation error or if she missed. I'd have to go back and look, but it's it's very, very bizarre. Um, and Optimus and Skylinks, I guess, head back to Earth because on Earth, the Quintessant is coating Optimus in this metal that turns him silver or white. Uh, depends on how you view the animation. Optimus and Skylinks then take off to find Rodimus Prime, who is being chased by a bunch of throttle bots. They find him and try to have a conversation with him, and he almost listens, uh, but then draws his weapon and shoots at Optimus. I don't want to hurt you, Rodimus. Don't worry, Optimus, you won't. Again, I love how the actors really get into the scene and... Uh, really start chewing the scenery. So uh, Optimus, he follows Rodimus uh, into an automobile factory and an assembly line. And Optimus and Rodimus fight, and they speechify for just a little. No more games, Rodimus. Innocent lives are at stake. No one is innocent. You know, whenever I hear innocent or guilty, it always either goes to the quintessons from Transformers the movie or this quote of Rodimus going, no one is innocent. Uh, that one uh, always kind of sits with me too somewhere in my brain. I'm telling you, these are two of the most quotable episodes in the entire run. Now, Rodimus uh, shoots Optimus off this catwalk as they're speechifying. Uh, it's a catwalk. It's piping. It's up in the ceiling. And... Um, as he falls, Skylinks uh, swoops down and rescues him. Now, as he's doing that, Rodimus jumps up and infects Skylinks. Optimus realizes this and jumps out back into the factory where Rodimus then takes a fall into the factory. And inside the factory, Rodimus is looking for Optimus. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Now, Optimus, he's in vehicle mode hiding on the assembly line of cars as it makes its way towards Rodimus. This is a rare instance in Transformers cartoons as a whole, in Transformers media as a whole, where we have an actual robot in disguise. I've written in my notes in big capital letters. Uh, robot in disguise. This is one of those things that gets lost a lot in, in any Transformers series, and it's really great to see it here used to the proper effect uh, in an important scene because Optimus transforms and jumps Rodimus Prime. Uh, they fight, but Optimus ultimately wins uh, as they fall off the conveyor belt and he takes the Matrix from Rodimus. Optimus then uses the Matrix to go inside the Matrix, as we've seen in The Five Faces of Darkness, uh, and find an answer for the hate plague while the Quintesson stands guard over him. In the Matrix, Optimus meets with Alpha Trion, his mentor. Uh, but we see Alpha Trion in blue and uh, gold orangish. Uh, neat idea here for a possible uh, repaint of 
a any future Alpha Trion figure, really. He's instructed that he must travel back further into the Matrix, but to be careful because he might not make it back out. The infected then show up at Autobot City. Prime continues to uh, head back and ends up talking to a wireframe skull that we've seen before in Five Faces of Darkness 2. Very briefly, he didn't talk. He just kind of exploded into a Quintesson head as Rodimus went through the Matrix back then. Uh, he is referred to in the script as It. That's right, it. I also like to think of him, maybe he is IT. He's like the um, the tech support department. <laughs> he is information technology. Um, but his name is it uh, in the script. Uh, it's not actually referred to anywhere in the media. And it has something to say. The plague you speak of has visited us once before. A wise man was able to contain the spores and send them into the sun. But no one was able to destroy them. No one had the power to do that. The only way to fight such madness is with wisdom. Unfortunately, no one person now has the wisdom to contain the spores much less destroy them now that they have spread across the galaxy. So Prime, he finally has that plan. He will use the Matrix to ward off the hate plague. And as he is realizing this inside of the Matrix, the infected bear down on Optimus and the Quintesson in Autobot City. Galvatron has like a pipe or a crowbar and plans on delivering the final blow. This world is ours! Optimus Prime shall die again! Just then, Optimus's chest opens up, the touch starts to play, and Prime rises to light our darkest hour. And it's kind of cool hearing the touch played here in, in the cartoon, which was weird and different and, and not really um, the norm for a Transformer cartoon. Uh, it even helps make the word hell uh, show up in a kid's cartoon in the afternoon. And this all happens and the world is healed. Jessica, somehow back on Earth, uh, is healed of the hate playing. We see her give uh, Gregory Swafford a big hug. And Optimus saves the world. Uh, Swafford and Morgan return to Autobot City and apologize. Rodimus is hot rod once again. And even Galvatron plans to walk away. There will be no war today, Optimus Prime. You have earned Galvatron's respect. Wait, wait, wait. Only now he has respect for Optimus? He didn't have respect for the four million years he was fighting him before? It's only now? It's such a weird line, but uh, okay, I'll take it. And then we find out that the Matrix is empty. It's up to all of us to fill it again. With the wisdom we accumulate from this moment on, Autobots, transform and roll out! And oh, what a fitting ending to this story. Uh, to have Optimus say transform and roll out and transform and they drive off into the sunset. This is really where the series um, should have ended. Uh, it'll go on for a couple more episodes uh, into season four. We'll talk about that in the future. Um, and, and those are well done and they create a fitting ending to the series as well. But if the series had ended here, I don't think anyone would be unhappy with this ending. 
it's it's such a great pair of episodes. Uh, part one is probably my favorite out of the two, uh, probably just because of that roll call scene. Uh, but this whole two parter is just it's it's such a nice tack on uh, to the story. It it is um, it is fan service before there was a word for fan service, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But but this is one that that echoes with Transformers fans. I think this was probably the first time I was drawn back into the show and into the, the the fandom, or at least my fandom of it, because this is a pre-internet world we're talking about. And as part of this 100th episode spectacular, we're going to uh, talk to a few of our regulars about how this two-parter affected them uh, growing up. So first, I'm going to toss it over to my good friend, Gabriel Owens, the salty seaman. Hey folks, Salty Seaman here, uh, talking about the death of Optimus Prime Parts 1 and 2. Uh, you know, I watched both of them and I wrote down a lot of notes. But for this, I was kind of thinking, you know, what Ant says, like, what's your biggest memory of this? And like, I had so many good things, but the one thing that really stood out was just like, you know, kind of the meta thoughts I had as a kid at the time. Uh, you know, because, you know, I recognize this episode as a retcon. Like, I didn't have a word for it back then. But, uh, you know, it, it was one of those things where, you know, we all saw we all saw Dark Awakening. And, I, you know, what happens at the end there? And it was, like, you know, so gruesome and graphic. And, you know, even as a kid at the time, I thought, of, like, that was, like, the Halloween episode. Like, I, I think in my head I didn't count it so much as canon. Like, if they had not uh, referenced it. I think as a kid, I could have like dismissed it a little better, but at the same time, I was very happy that they went, you know, when they decided like, Hey, we need to bring back Optimus Prime. Uh, you know, we have to figure this out. They actually went into the continuity and at least gave it a shot, which is what I recognized it at, 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 is at the time was, was like, Hey, they're trying, you know, it's like, Hey, we, we know we already made this story where Optimus Prime totally finally died for real, you know, Blah, blah, blah. It was a fun, spooky story. And, uh, you know, obviously they screwed it up in the animation. You know, they, they you know, they do the whole uh, star going Nova and everything. And like, that's, you know, and then, then and I just, I, I remember as a kid, just like, oh God, okay. They're, they're not ignoring that. They're going to bring back, because, you know, the week before they said they're bringing back Optimus Prime, I figured they would just do some kind of weird magic about it. They were just bringing him back because he wanted to come back. And even as a kid, I understood it as like, they're bringing him back because everyone wanted him back so bad. And I even, you know, could to a degree understand they already made, uh, you know, dark awakening before they made this episode very obviously. And they decided like, no, look, we have to address this one. We made that was supposed to be the final chapter slash, you know, Halloween spooky, whatever, which is still my, you know, uh, broadcast stage aside is still, you know, my, my opinion of why that episode was made. Uh, but it was very, you know, you know, gratifying as that they tried because cartoons so often did not. And I was always, you know, it annoyed me when like, you know, continuity was ignored, character development was ignored, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, all these shows, and I think that the, the Sunbell shows in general, you know, we can look back at them now and like compare to like what they're doing for kids now. It's not even close. But at the time, they at least challenged you a little bit. They usually were a little more in depth 
sometimes they actually did look at continuity issues, which a lot of the other shows like them did not do. And, you know, and I, I just appreciated, you know, how, how terribly they did it. And, you know, and it's kind of treating, uh, you know, and I got the whole thing is like, you know, he's racist against robots because these things happen. Totally get it. You know, but even as a kid, I'm like, okay, I get the message, but I'm like, I also understand you guys wrote yourself in a corner and had to solve it. And, uh, you know, and I always, you know, and I was just willing to accept all that and just like, okay, well, just give me to the end and show me why, you know, Optimus Prime deserves to be back and we're going to be all happy about this. And, you know, and I really overall enjoy the hate plague and all the stuff with it and his interaction with Rodimus, you know, and then they, you know, they actually, you know, gave an explanation for the, you know, the time uh, Goldbug was on the shelves and the Bumblebee thing. It's like, cool, they got that in there. And there was like, there was a couple other, there's just, just like a lot of little moments I really, really liked about it. Uh, you know, I wish the Megatron Galvatron or the, yeah, the Megatron Galvatron versus Optimus thing wasn't, they could have spent a little more time on that. I think there was more in, interesting things to have with that conversation. You know, probably my biggest disappointment, but overall it was like, Realizing what they were doing and why they were doing it as a kid. And, uh, you know, I looked forward to seeing where, where they were going to go with him and, uh, you know, uh, Hot Rod slash Rodimus and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, we never got that, but story for another day. But anyways, that's, uh, you know, that's the Salty Sea Man's uh, opinion of the return of Optimus Prime. I really do enjoy it. The animation is kind of crisp and pretty nice. Very good up. Totally recommended. And uh, let's say goodbye to uh, season three here and essentially the end of Transformers as a major uh, thing in uh, the force of pop culture in uh, the 1980s America. And, you know, Gabe is right there on the uh, the back end of that in that it's going to be a long time until uh, season four and a very abbreviated season four, which we'll get into uh, soon enough, airs. So this two-parter this season finale really does put a cap on transformers in the popular culture in america and probably in the world uh in 1987 but like i said it didn't it didn't stop my enjoyment it didn't stop my um return to the brand actually it probably ignited it it's probably part of the reason why there was a season four and just like me my friend Mike Seibert of the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast has some vivid memories about this two-parter as well. I actually didn't see a whole lot of season three when it came around the first time. Um, like Ant has already talked about in other episodes of TFU about season three, uh, the show changed times and channels a couple times. And I actually only saw season three episodes when, well, I, I was I was either homesick from school or had early dismissal or winter break or, or whatever, except for the return of Optimus Prime. Now, I remember seeing commercials for it. I remember the hype and I do remember being able to watch it when it aired first run and I, I think it might have been during spring break. I'm not 
entirely sure, but I do remember watching it vividly, uh, not unlike some of the memories I have of watching Transformers the movie in the theater that I've, I've talked about here before. And in fact, I, I distinctly remember watching it at my aunt and uncle's house in Bellingham, uh, in Bellingham, Washington, which is actually where Yoshi from uh, the Transmissions podcast live. It's, uh, it's actually about 100 miles and about a two-hour drive from Seattle. Not close at all, uh, but I, I do remember sitting on their couch uh, surrounded by various Transformers stuff I'd packed with me as I, w- I was staying with them for a few, uh, including um, a couple figures, uh, Cup and Blur and Octane specifically as well as issue 25 of the Marvel comic, you know, the one with uh, uh, Megatron versus the Predacons. And of course, uh, how could we forget my trusty Transformers the Movie sticker storybook that I talked about uh, here a couple months ago. Uh, but that's that's all relevant because there was a local UHF station in Bellingham that aired the Transformers cartoon uh, about a half hour after it aired on the Seattle affiliate which meant I was able to watch the episodes a second time immediately after by flipping the channel. Now, the trade-off was that I missed G.I. Joe, but come on, uh, this was the return of Optimus Prime. This was the sequel to Transformers the movie. In fact, I remember watching it on video. I never actually owned it, but I rented it enough times that I practically did. It had a really cool box art, too, and it was, uh, I remember, you know, since it was from uh, FHE, uh, Family Home Entertainment, it had a, a very similar uh, box art style to Transformers the movie with uh, the preview images framed like movie film. And I, I think. I don't know. In contemporary times, uh, many would consider Five Faces of Darkness to be the true sequel to Transformers the movie. But for me, uh, it was always the return of Optimus Prime and largely because that's what was available. Um, I don't know if Five Faces was out on video, but I remember watching Return of Optimus Prime probably almost as much as Transformers the movie on a video. And and of course, you know, you got the use of the touch by Stan Bush and and that those episodes have have a lot of the same texture as the movie as well that's that's not apparent in other season 3 episodes i mean maybe that's just me but it, it wouldn't be until many years later that i learned that this uh, the return of Optimus Prime was literally tacked on, and that's probably why it doesn't necessarily feel like it fits in with the other season three episodes, if that makes sense. And how is it that after all of these years, we still haven't had any hate-plagued themed toys? I, I know my dude Ant loves the clear plastic, and I think a line of Kool-Aid-colored figures sounds absolutely delicious. But hey, uh, before I toss it back, I just want to take a quick sec and congratulate Ant on the big 100 100 episodes of Transformers University that is not an easy accomplishment in podcasting especially now uh, so here's to you and here's to hundreds more podcasts and like how the song almost goes thank you for being my friend back to you and I want to thank Mike so much for that kind kind ending to his segment, uh, I am so happy uh, that I've been able to get this show to episode 100 and met some really great people along the way and people that have contributed to the show, Mike included, and, and Mike has uh, been a great sounding board for me and for this 
program and this podcast. So uh, if you're enjoying this show and you're enjoying the show, please do go check out Mike's show, uh, the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast. Uh, it is the best Transformers adjacent show uh, that I listen to. It is certainly my favorite. And uh, you should give it a listen, especially if you like music, independent artists, independent uh, comic book artists, and all sorts of sci-fi nerdery. And one of the things Mike touched on that I think is very, very important and something I've been stressing since uh, since episode one, really, of this series is the importance of VHS, the importance of recorded media and the success and the longevity of Transformers the cartoon and Transformers the brand. Uh, this is something very uniquely born of the 1980s, and um, it's Part of the reason why uh, we have uh, such a culture built around watching video online, really, because this is what we were doing at home. What you do on YouTube, what you're watching on YouTube when you're watching clips of other things, not necessarily, um, you know, YouTube presenters and, and people who are personalities on YouTube, but uh, things that just exist on there to watch over and over. Uh, that's what families were doing in the 1980s, building these libraries of of tapes. I know I was. I know my family was. I know um, my relatives were. Uh, the, and it wasn't even just pre-purchased tapes. It was stuff we just recorded off of uh, the on-air channels. And it's it's crazy to think that uh, uh, that eventually we would all come together and find like this repository to dump them all into in YouTube. Uh, and and kind of make our own tape collections obsolete in a way, and thus birth uh, streaming culture in a lot of ways. So it's it's weird how it all comes full circle. But the importance of being able to watch these episodes over and over, and this one in particular, I know I recorded it. I know I set up a, a timer, which was really hard to do for my parents uh, on a VCR. But um, nine-year-old me was a whiz at it, and I think that's another thing. Um, uh, us late Gen Xers, early millennials, zenials, if you will, uh, we we all kind of fit into this. Hey, uh, we understand how this computer technology works uh, better than our older siblings, and way better than our boomer parents. And that all played into um, how we are where we are today. Especially just listening to a podcast about a cartoon from almost uh, thirty-five years ago. And that being able to watch it over and over on a VCR, being able to play back scenes, it's especially why some of these things are so burned into my brain, uh, things I talked about earlier, particularly that roll call. I, I, I can't tell you enough how much I replayed that roll call from episode one of the two-parter. Now, to wrap things up, we have one more group of guests Uh and I wanted to wrap up my 100th episode with a little bit from the gang at Radio Free Cybertron. And if you're not aware, um, you know, Radio Free Cybertron, tfradio.net, uh, if you're on the internet, uh, is, is not only one of the longest-running Transformers podcasts. Actually, I think it is the longest-running Transformers podcast. It is one of the longest-running podcasts in history, uh, predating the word podcast. And uh, going all the way back to 1999. And I've known Brian Kilby, the host of Radio Free Cybertron, uh, since before Radio Free Cybertron. And 
as he was doing the show, a lot of us who were interested in doing broadcasting in some way back in the late 90s and early 2000s uh, offered ourselves up to do various segments for his show, myself included. So you could say that Radio Free Cybertron got me my start in podcasting. And so with that, since I've now made it to 100 episodes of my own podcast, I'm going to turn the floor over to Brian, Diecast, Dom, Rob, and Melvar. So, I mean, it, it was it was a great moment at the end of season at the end of episode one, and then when they did the touch in season two, that was a real rousting moment for myself. But it just felt like. Also, the fact is they kind of spoiled it when they had in the uh, the episode with the zombie prime dark awakening. Thank you, Dark Awakening. Yeah, because there was like, it, they tell you at the end of the episode, you know, is this really the end of Optimus Prime? Find out in tomorrow's episode, the return of Optimus Prime. That's a very toey thing to do, and they tell you the big thing in the see in the episode finale for the next episode. So it really wasn't that big of a surprise. Yeah, as a, as a kid, like I was ecstatic that they brought back Optimus Prime as an adult. I, I love Rodimus Prime a lot more than I did then. So, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I love Rodimus Prime, but the return of Optimus Prime may not be my true. It could be my favorite episode. I, I always say web world is my favorite, but when it boils down to it, there's so much I love about the return of Optimus Prime parts one and two. And part of that is, it's the first time in my life that I can remember that I was exposed to something that we call fan wank. It is, it exploit, it tugs the heartstrings. It exploits our uh, emotions and it works on nearly every level. And uh, I love it. I really do. I love it. Uh, it's great. It's a great uh, part two is a great Galvatron um, episode. It's just, uh, it, it, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just wonderful. It's, it's all, it's cinematic. It's a cinematic basically as the, uh, as the cartoon gets, uh, it's pretty bad. It's just generally pretty badass. I, I definitely think it's a, a high point of G1. Just like I said, as an adult, I, I think Rodimus doesn't get the appreciation that he is due. I agree. <laughs> well, I, I think that's because, uh, because like you say, like they were building him up. They were, they were showing that infancy stage of him being a leader. And then all of a sudden Optimus Prime came back. But again, I, I, I he got a whole season Love Optimus Prime. Rodimus got a whole season. He got his arc. Um, Don, that was all, not a pun. I was expecting you to make a. No, no, I'm just saying, yeah, he, he got his arc. He, and then it was just like, Oh well, you suck. Time to replace you. It 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 is almost unfair, but I am okay with it because pretty much the series ends after this, for all intents and purposes. I don't know. It's just I think I think it's so good. It looks good. It sounds good. It it's it's it it's satis- it, it's very satisfying. You know, and in all honesty, looking back on these two episodes, I think Brian calling it satisfying is is possibly an understatement. This may be, uh, outside of Transformers the movie, the two best episodes of the original series. Uh, I'm hard-pressed to think of a storyline, especially from from a plot standpoint, that maybe the ultimate doom, maybe heavy metal war, uh, but that's a one-off. 
the initial three-parter. I mean, there's only a handful of episodes that really, really stand out to me as phenomenal season one episodes. And The Return of Optimus Prime, parts one and two, uh, maybe at the top of my list, if not maybe second or third overall. Thanks for listening to the show. Stick around to hear what's coming up next episode. But first, I want to fill you in on a few ways you can stay in touch with the show. Want to be on the show? Leave us a voicemail at 702-763-4838. That's 702-POD-4TFU. Or send an email to info at tfu.info. Be sure to catch us on Twitter at TFU underscore info and on Facebook and Instagram under the username TFU info, all one word. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash TFU info, where we post all of our podcasts plus special video segments, reviews, and live coverage of Transformers-related events such as New York Toy Fair and New York Comic Con. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit us at www.tfu.info, the world's longest-running transforming toy archive. And that will do it for episode number 100 of Transformers University. I am so glad, I'll say it again, I am so glad you've joined me on this ride. If this is your first episode, thanks for popping in. I hope you stick around. I hope you go back. Uh, if you've been with us for all 100 episodes, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, and if you've just been picking and choosing uh, your spots to listen to the show, that's cool. I do it with podcasts too. I want to thank you also for just being a part of the show. I want to give big, huge, tremendous thanks to all of our Patreon students and Patreon supporters. Uh, I could not do this show without you and your support means the world to me. I also want to thank everyone that has ever used our Amazon links, clicked on a link on the website tfu.info and gone to eBay or Amazon from there or clicked on one of our ad sponsors. All of it, every little bit of it helps. So I want to thank you so much. And so with that, you know how to get to me. Best way is on Twitter at tfu underscore info. I bet you're wondering what's going to be on the show next time in episode 101. Well, we're going to Head on back to the UK and talk a little bit about where our story left off last time. If you heard episode 98, you know we were left with the cliffhanger. So we're going to talk about the Marvel UK Annual 1987 in episode 101. But don't worry, there's more cartoon episodes coming up. We still have season four of G1 coming up real soon. Plus, we're going to explore the first Japanese exclusive series as we cover 1987 in the Headmasters cartoon. And so there is a lot to come. I'm looking at my episode plan for 1987. Oh, you've got a good long time to talk about 1987. So uh, lots of more fun stuff to come. So if you punched out of Transformers here as a kid, 1987 was the end for you. Then there's so much more to learn. And I hope you do it right here on Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucali, owner, operator, Matt Matt, behind TFU.info. Until episode 101, thank you for 100 fantastic episodes. Until next time, see ya.